welcome back to Occasional Randomness. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me, as always, my fellow co-host, somebody who's always very animated, but not at all loony, Jason Johnson. Uh, slowly packs away all the acne gear and shoves it under the desk. All right, how are we doing? Nothing to see here. Yeah. Just a just a harmless little picture on a wall. Nothing, nothing to worry about. Nothing going on. Yeah, ignore the eraser marks behind me as I quickly scrub that away too. Yep. No wormholes there. More on that in the weird episode of Farscape coming up in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think we said last time uh, we're kind of between things to watch as we record this and wait for Ahsoka to premiere in about 15 minutes as we record this. But anyway, tonight it will just be our rewatch of Farscape. So this time around, we'll be doing Farscape Season 3, Episode 16, Revenging Angel. And then most likely next time, we'll be at least the first two Ahsokas that premiere tonight. And who knows when we record again, so it might be three. We'll see. But anyway, that's for next time. This time, it's Farscape. And as always, our little promotion plug, if you like this little podcast, please give us a like or a review wherever you listen to this at. Or better yet, help spread the word and let other people know about us. Because if you like it, you probably know people that also would like it. And we would appreciate the word of mouth advertising. Yeah, because our advertising budget is not quite up to uh, Looney Tunes standards. So. That's right. We're, we're a small budget <laughs> shop. Two-person shop. That's all we got. All right. So I think since uh, you're doing the even numbered episodes, I think you're up for the recap of this wild and crazy episode. This is Farscape Season 3, Episode 16, Revenging Angel, which, side note, I am sure we got all of our predictions right about that title. No. No. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure none at all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not even close. This is one I did not see coming. We'll put it that way. All right. So we start out with Dargo and Crichton in Dargo's new ship. Yeah. Remember that one? Uh, I think he picked that one up back in episode two of this season, Sons and Lovers. And uh, Dargo's kind of sort of figured out how to use it. Maybe. There's a major malfunction occurs and Dargo blames Crichton for touching something that broke it. Because it's, it's never you. It's always somebody else's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Obviously. Not me. Didn't do it. Dargo says that he has nothing. The ship is all he has. Crichton claims innocence, but to no avail, as Dargo, in the midst of one of his Luxon hyper-rages, pushes him against a pile of crates, which fall on Crichton, knocking him unconscious. At the same time, the ship's shields fluctuate, and a beam heads for Dargo. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, so it's always fun and games until someone gets hurt. Yep. Yep. Jewel is tending to Crichton, who's now in a coma. The ship has blown out all of Moya's active systems, and Dargo thinks that Crichton's interference triggered a security self-destruct sequence, and he doesn't know if he can stop it. Moya's hangar doors won't open, so they can't escape, and Chana yells at Dargo for trying to kill Crichton. In a temper, and possibly out of guilt, Dargo throws his Qualta blade into the bottom of Pilot's chamber. Pilot tells them to reactivate the DRDs so they can rewire Moya. Chana goes to work, and she sends Jewel to help Dargo. Meanwhile, inside Crichton's mind, Harvey shows up, asking Crichton his reasons to live. Crichton answers by saying, Earth, Dad, Pizza, Sex, Cold Beer, Fast Cars, Sex, Aaron, and Love. In that order, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Harvey says that none of that will help restore John to consciousness, but revenge will. He mentions Aaron's love for the other Crichton, saying that revenge is the strongest emotion. He has to even the score with Dargo. Crichton tells Harvey to go away, but he tells Crichton that he can't get rid of him. His mind's not strong enough. Crichton takes that as a challenge and turns Harvey into a cartoon. And that's when we go off the rails. But anyway, we keep going. <laughs> yeah. The, there were a couple of rails to start with, but yeah. No. <laughs> uh, maybe. One monorail? Anyway. Harvey wonders how John turned him into a cartoon, but hits his head, sighs, to think it's Looney Tunes. Harvey turns him back, himself back and talks about revenge some more. Crichton refuses to go that way and turns Harvey back into a cartoon asking if he really wants revenge. When Harvey says yes, Crichton drops a 1,000-ton weight on his head. Back in real life, Jewel joins Dargo in the hangar, and Dargo says that this is the first time that he's had problems with the ship, and since he's been out in it four times, it must be Crichton's fault. Back inside John's comatose mind, Pilot tells Crichton to rise above Dargo's behavior, saying that he and Moya find it advantageous to avoid confrontation. By running away, the pursuer will eventually tire, Dargo comes along, and the chase is on. Crichton gets his in, in his module and takes off, and into Looney Tune land we go, as Dargo chases Crichton with a rocket pack on his back. A number of scenes happen with Dargo chasing Crichton, much like Wile E. Coyote chases the Roadrunner. Eventually, as Crichton brags to Harvey that Pilot was right, he and his module are caught in the web, and a spider Dargo gets him when he screams in terror. Real Harvey tries again to convince Crichton that revenge is the way to go. Back on Moya, Pilot tells Jewel that the ship will ex explode in just under an arm and tells her that they can take food and supplies to a pressure hatchway where they can survive for a few days if he jettisons it. Jewel gets upset at the thought of leaving him. Shiana goes to Dargo, who says that he doesn't like to lose. She asks him, then why did he lose her? Ooh, burn. Ooh. Yeah. He yells some luxem phrase that his grandfather used to say at her. The ship responds to it and brings up some words and speaks in an ancient Luxem. Dargo gets Pilot to provide some temporary translator microbes via a DRD. So I guess these aren't part of the standard package. Yeah, I guess it's the, the, the upgrade. Yep. Jewel and Chiana are moving Crichton, and Jewel can't believe that Dargo doesn't know his ancient tongue. Jewel confesses to Chiana that she thinks she's the one who messed up Dargo's ship. A shouting match ensues. Hmm, didn't see that one coming until Dargo interrupts. Crichton is now on the floor because the girls dropped him during their argument. Oops. Yeah. Chiana tells Jewel to never tell Dargo what she did. In his mind, Crichton asks Jewel what he should do, and she says that he can reason with Dargo. Back in the real world, Jewel joins Dargo on the ship and tells him that it may have been her, but Dargo knows this already because he found some of her hair in the controls. Dargo isn't mad, though, and asks what she was doing in there. She says that she knows she can be difficult and that no one wants to spend time with her. But he's someone that she likes, and since his problems with Chiana and his son, he spends a lot of time alone in there. She thought that if she learned a little bit about it, they might have something to talk about. So Dargo calms down and thanks her for making the effort. Back in John's head, Crichton walks past a room where a cartoon Aaron is standing, wearing skimpy lingerie. She's not happy that her clothes are gone, so Crichton erases and redraws her as Jessica Rabbit. After playing along for a moment, Erin takes matters into her own hands and starts changing herself, becoming versions of Marilyn Monroe, a Baywatch lifeguard, Madonna, and even Nancy Reagan before ending in tune version of her usual outfit. She asks what he will do about Dargo, 
who appears around the corner and chases Crichton, prompting her to shout, Run, Forrest, run! The cartoon Dargo again tries to catch Crichton and refuses to talk when Crichton asks. Eventually, Dargo catches him, so Jewel was wrong. Harvey, in a surgeon's outfit, revives Crichton, saying again that revenge is needed. Back in reality, the ship tells how to stop the self-destruct sequence. One of three ancient Lux and artifacts must be presented. An ancient freedom text, an Oricon's prayer amulet, or a Qualta blade. Oops. Oh yeah, that thing. Yeah. Uh, so they go searching around in the bottom of Pilot's chamber for the blade. Back in his mind, Crichton asks Chiana what to do. She initially agrees with Harvey's idea of seeking revenge on Dargo, and then proceeds to come on to John. Of course. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jewel is searching through sludge at the bottom of uh, Pilot's level. Chiana tells her to watch out for falling metal, and moments later, metal falls, just missing her, apparently dropped accidentally by Dargo. Back in John's head, Chiana suggests to Crichton that he outsmart Dargo. So after some more Roadrunner action, Crichton blows up the cartoon Dargo. Jewel hears noises and asks Pilot if anything else besides them lives in Moya. Pilot confirms that, among other things, a colony of bats lives in Moya. Jewel, who, already getting a bad feeling about what the answer is, asks if they leave droppings. And Pilot states that these droppings help seal microscopic cracks. And that's what Jewel is currently wading through. So, of course, she responds by letting out an ear-piecing scream. Again, in the cartoon Crichton outsmots Dargo. But in the end, Crichton tries to go through a wormhole that Dargo painted on a rock, and his ship is destroyed. The real Dargo arises from the flames and tells Crichton that he can't hide behind cartoons forever. Harvey gives a eulogy for Crichton by his gravestone, as Crichton's death is his too. Crichton appears and says that he loves Arid, and that should be enough. Harvey says it won't get the job done, that Crichton should get Dargo, if only in his own mind. Crichton doesn't want to, but Harvey says that he can take him, the real Dargo tries to get Crichton, who's in a swivel chair. But when he turns around, Crichton drops him down a trapdoor. Back in the real world, Jules falls over the sludge and stumbles across the Qualta blade. Dargo and Chiana run to the ship and Dargo slots it in, stopping the self-destruct. In Crichton's mind, Dargo again goes after him, but in the chair is an exploding stuffed Crichton-like doll. Crichton has gotten his revenge and Harvey wants thanks for saving his life. Crichton tells Harvey that he was wrong. For him, revenge is not the answer. But he tells Harvey never to distract him from what he feels. He loves Aaron, though he unexpectedly also tells Harvey that he appreciates the clone's help. Back in the real world, Crichton comes back to life. On board the ship, Dargo is forced to identify himself, and the ship hands over its controls. As he and Chiana celebrate, Crichton appears in the doorway, says hi, and then falls over. Jewel can't get the grunge off her arms, and Pilot thanks her for her sacrifice to find the blade. Chana tells her not to frail with everything, and Jules says that she and Dargo have sorted it out. She gets the first ride on his new ship. Meanwhile, we cut to Crichton spacewalking outside of Moya, and Dargo is on command, asking Crichton to listen. He says that sorry doesn't cut it, he has so much rage, and sometimes he just doesn't know how to control it. Crichton says that he needs to learn how to now that he has the baby ship. Dargo says that the Luxon Code says that aggression against an ally entitles retribution. And Crichton tells Dargo to look at him and says that there's nothing that would ever make him take revenge on him. They touch hands with the window between, and Dargo thanks him. Aww. <laughs> they made up. They've, they're buddies again. He asks Crichton what went through his mind, what he saw when he was dead. Crichton tells him that it would be impossible to explain to him as he turns and glimpses one last view of his animated world. 
So a little trivia about this uh, somewhat normal and boring episode. Uh, <laughs> sarcasm, sorry. This is the fourth and final episode of the series in which Rigel does not appear. While he does not appear on screen in A Perfect Murder, he has one brief voiceover line. The animation was done by Yoram Gross EMTV, a company founded by the father of show composer Guy Gross. And uh, Gross's music for the animation sequences were influenced by Looney Tunes composer Carl Stalling. And finally, to stand in for her animated counterpart, Claudia Black wore a stunning outfit to give Ben Browder his eyelines. Her character moved like a Japanese anime character due to the lead animator being Japanese. All right, Eric. So this one was uh, pretty different. Uh, definitely. What did you think about it? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, first of all, uh, I absolutely loved this episode. So I guess, you know, spoiler alert, there goes any any suspense for what I thought about the show. <laughs> so I, I especially love when a show gets far enough along where they can start doing like completely, completely different things with it. They make a, a complete turn from what you normally expect and change the format up. And, you know, this was both serious and wacky, as we've talked about, and it, it all completely worked for me. You know, the live action was good. You know, the animated parts were amazing. You know, at least amazing enough to, for the show. Although, I guess I am partial to Looney Tunes cartoons since I grew up on Saturday morning cartoons back when those were a thing. And the you know, Looney Tunes reruns after school all the time. Yeah, kids, back in our day, you had to watch cartoons only on Saturday. Right. There wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a channel of just cartoons all day long. No, was, yeah, one day a week. <laughs> so, for like eight hours in the morning. And you, you got up at 5 a.m. and watch cartoons till noon. <laughs> so, and then, of course, we have Harvey, which is always a delight. So that was another plus. And um, I am in a couple of Farscape groups on Facebook. And someone just recently commented that they hated this episode. They're like, what the frell is this? This is terrible. And I, for one, completely and totally disagree with that guy. In fact, speaking of like flipping the genre kind of thing, um, just a few weeks ago, as we record this here in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is live action. They did an episode where the main cast of the animated Star Trek Lower Decks appeared. You know, some of them were, you know, both animated and live action. And that was fantastic too. So again, I love when people mess with things if they do it well. And, you know, and they did they did it well in my opinion. So anyway, that's my opinion. What do you think about it? Yeah, so um I have to admit I wasn't really sure at first if I was gonna like this one. We'll get into kind of the plot lines a little bit in a second, but you know, as we said in the recap, it, it started off with a lot of interpersonal drama and the, our our crew fighting amongst themselves again. And, and I think I made it pretty clear at this point that those are not my favorite uh, points of drama. Uh, however, uh, my concerns were were definitely uh, assuaged as as it kind of pivoted into the the crazy wacky hijinks of the episode where you're you're cutting back and forth between the uh, real life drama and the cartoon world in Crichton's head and all the, the hijinks and lessons there and, and Harvey and, and roadrunner stuff and animations. And just, it, it was, it was all over the place. Um, I, I'm kind of the same as you uh, while Looney Tunes was probably not my favorite of my Saturday morning cartoons. It beat anything else that was on for sure. As far as real TV. And I do remember, uh, I'm old enough to remember when Roger Rabbit came out and was a big thing because it mixed live action and cartoons into like a, a real, like full feature length movie. And, you know, the, the callbacks and references to that in here are also pretty funny. So, yeah, I would, I would definitely say that uh, 
it was definitely zany to the max. <laughs> yeah, because if they do it right, I mean, it fits, right? It's not like out of character. Like this was in Crichton's comatose head that he's doing a Looney Tunes cartoon thing. It made perfect sense. It wasn't like this was like real life and suddenly, you know, Dargo turns into a cartoon, right? And everybody's like, what the heck? You know, so I mean, it, it fits and it worked, you know? Yeah. Like what, like when they do like when like serious dramas do like a, a musical episode where they all sing and do like a musical theater, if it works, it works. Like if it's, you know, if they make the, it fit into the plot and why they're doing what they're doing, I have no problem with them. Like, you know, doing something outside the box. Cause you know, you have back in the day, you know, 22 episodes a season, you got like multiple seasons at some point you're like, let's try something different. And well, if, you, if you pull it off, right. It's great. Yeah. The old adage of if it, if it works, it's not a bad idea. Right. Yeah. Um, if it so works, it was my it was idea. Exactly. If it doesn't work, it was your idea. <laughs> now I feel like I'm back at work. <laughs> speaking, speaking of which, I don't, I don't, uh, just in case nobody caught it, I'm going to point out my own joke, which was that was a uh, Tiny, Tiny Toon Adventures reference with my zany to the max. So. <laughs> yeah, that was after my time. But anyway, that's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that age gap coming up. Yeah, you know, I've seen a few of them, but that's fine. All right, so I guess we have kind of two main plot lines, you know, the real world and the not-so-real world to talk about. And since they're radically different from each other, let's kind of separate them a little bit so we can keep keep the zany in its own little world, in its own little box. So let's let's get the, uh, the mundane world out of the way first. Let's talk about Dargo's new toy. So we found out much more about it than we have since we saw it, like, 13 episodes ago apparently <laughs> so it's it's a an ancient luxon like little warship i guess it's like a little i guess they need something to replace aaron's prowler that got destroyed so now i got like a little fighter or a big fighter i don't know however big it is but looks pretty big they can probably hold the, the whole crew i guess like a little transport pod with guns apparently since it is luxon it only communicates in luxon but ancient luxon okay cool uh you know it can do something like em kind of pulse i guess that fries leviathan circuits and of course, like all nice little warships go, it's got a self-destruct mechanism. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, I do remember this ship from back when I watched it back when I was airing. I just didn't remember that they spent half of this season before getting back to it. Um, so it was interesting to see like how long they kind of let that sit on the back burner before jumping back into it. So what do you think about Dargo's little quote-unquote ship? Yeah, so this is an interesting one to me because it's it's kind of been like a side side plot device, right? Like, we I remember them getting it, and then it's kind of been there, and it's like Dargo's quiet space, right? Like, we don't really see the ship do much other than him fiddling with it and trying to acclimate himself, and you know he got it to kind of levitate at one point, and it, I know it's been a progression, but uh, it's 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 interesting to see. Uh, to me, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays into the Diamond X and crew now that we have a, a working ship, right? Because uh, we've got Moya, we've got Talon, we've got Crichton's module, and now we've got Dargo's ship, which, like you said, does kind of replace Aaron's Prowler. But uh, we've got a lot of private crafts going on now. We've got we've got some options. So it's eventually, you know, we need one for Rigel, and Jewel needs a, a some kind of jewel-studded starship. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I Obviously, having not seen it, I don't know where this is going to go, but it's, it'll be interesting to see how they, they leverage it, right? Yeah, because with all the other little ships, transport pods and prowlers and Crichton ship, sort of, you know, anybody can fly it. You know, and this one seems only to be, you know, since it's kind of smart and semi-sentient, it only likes Luxons, so only Dargo can fly this thing, at least for now. 
So that, that should be interesting, or could be a plot point later, like if they land somewhere on this thing and Darker gets injured, now they're stuck, right? Because they can't fly it. I don't know. We'll see, but kind of interesting. A little twist to the usual... It's, it's kind of like, um, like a smart ship. Like it only works for one person. Like if someone else tries to use it, it won't do anything. Or it'll blow up. See, <laughs> right. Now I'm picturing like Voltron, where you have to have the little keys to activate the lions. Only it's, you know, the, the Qualter Blade. So every time he gets in it, he has to like sheath the Qualter Blade in the console to activate the ship. I don't know. Yeah, and Darko's kind of lion looking like. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. It transforms into a robot. I mean, yeah. So there's it's actually five of them, and they all no. <laughs> I told you everybody needs a ship. That's the trick. Everybody gets a lot. Uh, uh, yeah. Or, there yeah. was vehicle Voltron. You could do that. Yeah, there was the one that had like the little little vehicles that formed the big Voltron. Yeah. So yeah, this this could work. You know, be like a little mini Moya. You know, form. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Anywho. And uh, yeah, it looks like Lux and Hyper Rage is still a thing, so they brought that back. And uh, yeah, to your point, yeah, you don't like the inner, inner crew kind of conflicts. You know, we, we like the Farscape crew being like the smartass to each other and you know, making snipey comments and stuff. But when they start getting physical and knocking people into comas, and in this case, eventually like killing Crichton, and then he revived it on the table. So like, hey, you know. But I mean, yeah, it's good that they kind of bring it back because I guess like like Dargo had said, like in his mind, he's lost everything. You know, he's got nothing. You know, he's lost his wife. He's kind of sort of disowned his son, if we ever see him again. He lost his girlfriend, who keeps calling him on it, apparently, <laughs> in this episode. So, you know, all he thinks is he's got the ship, and that's it. And now it's broken, and it's all Crichton's fault, because it could have been my fault. And decides to flip out on Crichton. Which, of course, we know he's not truly alone, because he's got his shipmates. Except maybe Jenna, but you know, at least, well, she, whatever, you know wherever that relationship is, you know, and Crichton obviously does care about Dargo more than anybody else on the ship. You know, they've been best buds, you know, for, I guess, since what, when they're floating in space at end of season one, right? Right. That was but, their bonding moment. Yeah. But, okay, fine. You know, I guess when you get into your little hyper Luxon rage, you know, all that goes out the window and bad things happen. Yeah. And I won't uh, belabor the point, right? You know, I kind of already mentioned that this was where I kind of got hung up on the beginning I just kind of want to move past the drama. I'm, I, I like where this episode ends as far as regarding that storyline. And uh, hopefully this gives me, man, this has got to be where it moves on, right? Let's, let's let's do something different. Yeah, because we have to save the drama now for uh, Aaron and, you know, New Crichton here. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 that'll be a big we'll, one. We'll see when we get there, yeah. We'll talk about that at the end of, the, end of this one. And, uh, you know, we get some more crew bonding stuff in, in the real world here. You know, some nice scenes with Dargo and Jewel, you know, where Dargo finally figures out it was her and not Crichton. Like, does she shed? Like, why was her hair in the control? I don't, anyway, <laughs> I don't quite understand that one, but okay. It's like cleaning the drain, dude. Anyway. Yeah, I guess, you know, he's got lots of hair, just falls out. I don't know. Um, and it was nice that she said that, you know, she's seen that, or she she admits that, you know, she's kind of a pain to deal with and that. Dargo can be too, and she likes him, so she wants to learn more about his ship. They have something in common to talk about instead of just, just being like occasional crewmates passing by in the hallway or whatever, you know, talking at dinner or whatever they do. I don't know, you know. And he's like, oh, you know, thanks for the effort. So okay, you know, they're they're bonding, although it's kind of if you read into it too much, which I could. It's like she says that she likes him, so I guess my question is, does she like like him or just like him? <laughs> if we're going back well, to like high school. <laughs> She didn't pass him a note, folded up yeah, notes. Right. So, you know, check yes or no. We haven't gotten there yet. So. Yeah, so could this be some kind of potential love interest forming or maybe more of a conflict between Jewel and Jana? Not that we haven't already seen in this episode anyway. 
or is this just a friend's thing and it's just her way of trying to be more friendly towards him and not romantic? Yeah, so I've got no clue there. Uh, I'll be honest, I did not have Jewel pegged for being a romantic interest for any of the crew. Uh, but maybe when on a lonely spaceship you are, uh, the crew's the crew, right? It's not like they have endless selection. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably say that it's just going to be just a friend's thing. And just she wants to learn more about what he's interested in so that he doesn't feel like he's alone or try to get him out of his depression or wherever he's in. So we'll see. Well, and despite her somewhat snobbish personality, she she does seem to be pretty empathetic, right? I mean, she when she takes a liking to somebody, there's there's a, an attachment there. And I think that maybe is what you're seeing. So. Yeah, so just friends doing friend things, we'll see. Um, let's see, and then I guess towards the end there, of, of course, when the ship, you know, when, when Darker gets the, the Luxon, ancient Luxon translation microbes, and of course the ship starts listing off what it will do take to stop the self-destruct, you of course knew it was going to be the Cult of Blade. <laughs> because why make the why hang the lantern on throwing it in hissy fit over the side of Pilot's Den, which, again, no one believes in railings in any, anywhere in sci-fi, but anyway. Yeah, it was definitely Chekhov's Qualta Blade. Yeah. But as part of that, you also learn more about Moya, which is always fun because we've had so many questions over the years about what's a, what's a living ship work or how's it function or how can it serve, how can it evolve, all that kind of stuff. So it's always fun learning more about Leviathans. And this time around, we learned that uh, apparently they have some kind of, or at least this one, has bat-like creatures, among other things. And I'll emphasize that three words there that Pilot says that symbiotically live inside of Moya and their droppings are helpful because they seal up cracks. So first off, I'm with Jewel. Ew, that's disgusting. Second, how many of those bat-like things are there? Because we don't see any of them. And she was wading through knee-deep sludge. So how many? How often? Like, I And finally, what other things? <laughs> it's like, nice way to leave us hanging there, pilot. Like, what the heck else is <laughs> in Moya besides the crew and the DRDs? Yeah, it... So my takeaway from that is these are bats and based on the size and, and mass, these things got to be huge. Like, how are we not seeing bats flying around all over the place that they're big enough for that? Right. Or, or hearing them or something like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the second is, you know, pilot really needs to clean up his room. I figure let's figure <laughs> that's like kind of like telling my teenager, you know, that, all right, you reach the point, take out the garbage, clean up the room. I need some plates and cups back, you know, that kind of thing. Really, pilot? This is like right below your station there. I don't know. It's got to be kind of rank. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows how far down it is? Look, look, it's pretty far down when they were going down to find stuff and saw this other kind of scrap stuff lying around. It's like the the DRDs just like pile things in the corners, like <laughs> instead of like jettisoning it out the out the airlocks. Like I don't understand. You know, the, the the DRDs need cleaning tips or something. Yeah, there's like the infinite trash can outside. Just open a door. Yeah, and if that stuff is to seal microscopic cracks and she's walking around in some, however big that level is, knee-deep in stuff, how many microscopic cracks does Moya get? Because <laughs> right. that can fill up a lot of cracks with what so, she was walking so through. So what you're saying, you're saying this pilot's a hoarder. That's what I'm getting here. Apparently him or Moya, yeah. They just like to grab onto everything and like, nope, might need it. Can't get rid of it. That'd be a future episode of uh, Farscape, the hoarder episode. <laughs> Somebody stage an intervention. Yeah. <laughs> they get other Leviathans to come over. It's like, yeah, you really need to get rid of your stuff. Yeah. That's, that'd be the first thing Talon tells her when he gets back. Yeah. Or it's like, you know, here, you want some bats? <laughs> <laughs> it's good for you. 
Okay, so I guess that was the end of that plotline, more or less. Uh, let's let's jump into the other main plotline, uh, Crichton's uh, wild coma-induced visions or dreams or whatever they were. So yeah, that's you know again cool to flip flip the expectations and do something do something different. Uh, I wonder how long it took them to execute that kind of stuff because you know, animation is not something you can probably do that fast, even back in 2001 when this was filmed. So I wonder how long it took. Even though it's like probably what like maybe 10 minutes or so total of animation, but it's got to be being worked on for at least maybe a couple episodes prior to that, I'm assuming, to get everything done and then make sure it's working right. Then you got to double over the dialogue and that kind of stuff. But again, I thought, you know, it completely worked with how they how they framed it with the story. And, you know, a nice homage or homage to the Wile E. Coyote and Red Runner cartoons like Rub On. Even down to them doing like the, uh, instead of the Acme gadget, it was Osmi. So that was kind of funny. And of course... Which is that a, that's maybe a mixture of uh, uh, Wizard of Oz and Acme together. Yeah, like Frank Oz, because it's the Jim Henson studio, maybe. I don't know. Oh, Could be. Yours is know. better than mine. We'll go with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, of course, they even did like live-action versions of the cartoon setups, like with the the fake Crichton dummy that explodes, and then Dargo looking like all Made up like you know he had like explosion like the black marks on his face and his hair was sticking out that kind of thing so yeah that was hilarious and of course the whole thing with John and Aaron or cartoon Aaron that whole Jessica Rabbit parody and then her changing her appearances and acting like famous people and vamping it up I just it was just fantastic I loved it yeah so so as I mentioned earlier um, mainly the you know the part that we definitely tanked on the episode titles um, this this came out of nowhere for me I, I was I was expecting some serious revenge thing with you know, some ship or something i can't remember what we guessed but it definitely wasn't uh cartoons and since i haven't watched sparskate before this is my first uh watch through uh, as we watch them together I, I didn't know this episode existed that it was coming up i'd never heard about it like this was just straight up i sat down to watch it and it hit me and you know it was uh once the, the shift in tone got past you know and i kind of got into it it was a really fun, lighthearted episode that, you know, it had some serious undertones and the, the message about, you know, the Crichton and, and Darga working it out and all that kind of stuff kind of added some serious depth to it. But, you know, just the antics and the the references and everything was just, it was so over the top. It was an awesome ride. So. Yeah, because like you're, you're watching it. It's like, oh, it's Harvey. Okay, cool. We're going to do some fun stuff where like, they're going to do some wacky things with Harvey or whatever. All of a sudden, boop, he's a cartoon. What the heck? <laughs> so. And yeah. right, right, right there, you know, something's going to a severe left turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. How hard did his head get hit, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, we got our, our old buddy Harvey back. You know, Harvey, Harvey 2 or Harvey 1, whichever one I call it. You know, depending on who you think Twin is or was. And, you know, he's, of course, doing his usual Scorpius things, trying to get Crichton to act more like how Scorpius would do things, which, of course, all revenge. You know, hurt your enemies because you got hurt. Although in the end, John does sort of kind of go along with that a little bit. You know, that does, does he appreciate Harvey's help? Because I guess Harvey did resuscitate, resuscitate him, if you kind of think about it in the, in his head anyway. So, you know, we'll see if the relationship changes after this. Who knows? Probably not, because, you know, yeah. Scorpius does what Scorpius does, even if he's a clone in someone's head. But but yeah, probably the, the best line of his was when he was doing the eulogy for Crichton. And I will, I will quote the whole thing here just because it's hilarious. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to pay our final respects and to say our farewell to our dear friend, Commander John Crichton, a schmuck. 
mule-headed, reckless, and probably brain-dead before I met him. <laughs> I don't usually laugh at Harvey stuff, but that was, I just like fell off the couch. <laughs> Especially that last one, probably brain-dead before I met him. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and now that we lost Harvey too, which by the way, I'm calling this one Harvey Prime because he's the only one we got left. So we're going to go with Prime. And Prime's always transformed into the best robots. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, hey, maybe that's coming up. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm hoping that, that he gets to hang around, right? Because, you know, while the other John managed to get rid of his Harvey and they figured all that out, uh, these type of interactions just produce such good antics and, and playing off of each other that I'll, I'll kind of miss it when it's gone. So, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, some of the things that you remember about Farscape, or at least if you watched it originally, was, yeah, this type of interaction. Like, yeah, you have the Scorpius, you know, the, the bad villain always chasing them and stuff. But then you have, like, the whatever version we call this in John's head that's doing equally weird things, or even weirder in this case, kind of stuff. So it's, you know, it's, it's the stuff that defines the show. And it's, it's, just, it's just great. So the more Harvey, the better. Agreed. And then at the end, we have, of course, another great scene with John and Dargo, you know, once again, proving that they're, they're still best buddies, even though you did technically kill me and I could <laughs> had to have my arch enemy resurrect me on the table. But hey, we're still friends. And even if Dargo forgets that sometimes or, you know, his rage gets the better of him, which, OK, fine, you know, maybe never again. But for now, OK, fine, we'll, we'll go with it. And, you know, John yeah. saying that, you know, there's nothing that would ever make him take revenge on Dargo. So Aww. we're, we're going to hold him to that. We'll see. We got another season and a quarter left here. Let's let's see if they, they follow up on that one or not. <laughs> yeah, we definitely had a, a, a good resolution to a, a fun episode and a touching kind of serious moment at the end. I'll just say I hope they remember it. Right, like we we bend it on this road. Let's let's stick with it. And by the way, uh, just before we move on for the episode, I want to save myself from anybody fussing at me if they did happen to catch my slip. It was not uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. It was Animaniacs that were zany to the max. So I'll, I'll, I'll fix my own mess up there. Well, that's what I was thinking, too, when he said it, not the other one. So I, <laughs> I, I do what you meant. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And besides, we have to save all the you know interpersonal crew drama for whenever uh, Aaron comes back. So we have to have all that to deal with. So, you know, we, we have to save the other. And we, we have the Chiana Jewel thing. Okay, we'll, we'll keep that because that's, that's fun. And it's just... Even the subtitles turned on, they, they couldn't keep up with them arguing back and forth with each other. <laughs> so no, we'll, I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that, but let's, let's keep the, you know, let's have some friendships here and like not go off on your friends here anymore. You know. Well, I'm not saying that they can't like bicker, but you know, yeah. for an entire episode to be based around them fighting with each other, I, I need some outside influence, outside interaction at this point. Yeah. Yeah, because again, when I think of Farscape, I think of that interplay with the, with the crew. You know, it, it's not Star Trek. It's not all the other stuff that you see. That's you know the happy, peaceful crew, and they're all friends or whatever. It's, it's like you know, no, these were people were thrown together. You know, they have totally different backgrounds, and sometimes they just get on each other's nerves and they just lay to each other. So that's that's, that's what you remember: the, the steppy dialogue, the 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 one-liners, the you know the zingers, that kind of stuff. You know, that's Farscape. Well, when you when you break it down, I mean, they're. Yeah, they've become a family. So you argue with your family, you fight with your family. It's not perfect, and especially you take that that dynamic and you toss it onto a a ship in isolation in, in these unknown regions of space where you don't know how to get back home and you don't know, you know, all this stuff and you don't have anybody else outside of the crew. It's going to have drama. It's just the same drama over and over is I think my complaint. That's all. Yeah. And just don't kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what the, yeah. Draw, draw the line somewhere. Yeah. Death. Or at least do it in a funny way. 
you know, then we're, then we're fine. Yeah, that's true. It, I'll swell it in as well. Like the, you know, Crackers Don't Matter when they went paranoid and went after each other. That was hilarious. One of the, one of the best shows and the best quoted things we do all the time. So things like that. Those are fun. Yeah. And great job keeping the streak going. That was awesome. Yeah. I think we missed it a few episodes, but yeah, at least we, we got to keep it going every once in a while. So. Yeah. All right. Anything else about our Animaniac adventure here? No, I, I, I think we've hit on all the, the great stuff. Obviously, we, we thought this one was great. I, I'll put it up there as, as one of the top episodes, uh, especially considering it was a standalone and not part of a multi-parter, which seems to be like one of the hallmarks of the better episodes is the multi-parters. So this was a standalone and still pretty awesome. So, Yeah, yeah definitely the, the, one of the high points of the season and of the series because, again, I love when they have something that they can flip on, on its head after they have enough credit built up on in the audience that you can do something like this. So kudos to them pulling this one off. All right. So coming up next time, as we mentioned, sort of kind of, we'll be doing our usual Farscape review. So that will be uh, season three, episode 17, The Choice. And I guess playing our usual guessing game of what could that mean? Well, great. Another one that's wide open. Um, well, anyway, I, it's going to be two things, probably, although knowing Farscape would be number three. Um, but we're getting close to the end of the ep- of the season. Okay, we got six more to go episodes, if we include this one, the choice one. So at some point, they have to reunite Talon and Moya. You know, otherwise, the show is you know, kind of not really fun. So if they do reunite, then obviously the choice might be Aaron and Crichton, which we know they're going to get together eventually anyway. But again, like we said before, drama have to deal with what happened. So will it be Aaron and this Crichton's relationship choice? You know, will Aaron try again? Which of course, yes, she will, but you know, this is going to be the fun of watching her and him come to grips with what happened. But that's probably a lot more than one episode's worth of stuff. So probably not going to be that. So if they don't reunite the crews and we go back to dealing with the Talon crew, uh, I don't know. Maybe the choice to finally return back to Moya or not, because at some point they have to. Uh, yeah. And for my part, I think it'll be something simple, you know, with either some epic choice that will lead to the reuniting of the crews at the end of the episode. But I, I'm gonna step back away from that one because the more I think about it, the more I'm, I'm thinking we'll push that reunification closer to the end of the season. I can't see them with six episodes to go uh, rushing into that. So I'm thinking that's going to be more. Yeah, you know, the two-parter at the end, or, or right up at the edge of the end of the season. So I'm gonna stick with some, you know, stranding or something on a planet, or or a, uh, you know, some choice for the crew. But I don't think it'll be as as dire as a reuniting. So yeah, because with six more to go, you know, you figure that the two-parter has to be the the finale or near it. So that there's two. So you you got four episodes left. So you have to have them get back together, have a mission or two to set up the two-parter. And then the conclusion. So yeah, so it's got to be probably after this one would be the the meetup. You know, one more time with how's Aaron doing with what happened because they kind of dropped it there at the end. So yeah, probably something like that. All right, so that is your Farscape homework. And like we said before, uh, as we are speaking, the first episode of Ahsoka is halfway done probably. So that will be also next time. Like they're doing the the two episode premiere of Ahsoka. So at least do the first two episodes. Depending on when we record, there might be a third one out, so we'll maybe do three. We'll see where we get there, but basically that's your homework, you know, Farscape, and as much Ahsoka as you can uh, watch before you listen to this one next time. Yeah, and, and hopefully you've already gone back and watched all of Clone Wars, all of Bad Batch, 
on all of Rebels. Yeah. So go do your homework. Or maybe it's the first five minutes of the Ahsoka TV show where they recap, which would recap animatedly or <laughs> what happened in the in the cartoons. Can have another crossover animation in real life. Who knows? Ooh. They could Roger Rabbit yeah. that. That'd be interesting. Well, they'll probably just have her from when she did stuff in Mandalorian. So if they do any kind of recapping. but Yeah. Probably, probably not. Yeah. They'll probably jump into it because otherwise it's all animated stuff and they probably wouldn't want to pull that off unless they want to do like live action versions of scenes from the animated stuff. Who knows? But probably not. Yeah, that's an interesting question because they've obviously got to do some recapping of maybe not. Maybe as part of dialogue and not part of a intro, but they've got to get some context for Rebels for sure because it's mostly from the, how that ended, I think. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. We'll see if we have another kind of animated real world crossover. Probably not, but it's but you know, it is Disney and they do that kind of stuff, so hey, who knows? Anyway, that's your homework. Enough rambling. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. That's all, folks.